Cults have a way of isolating people from the real world. And growing up in the shiny, happy people cult, I experienced that to an extreme degree. But once I got out of the cult at 18 years old, I realized that getting used to real life has its own set of challenges. My guest today had a similar experience growing up in the Mormon church. Steve Cantwell and I met two or three years ago, I think, doing a comedy show. And he told me a story that shocked me so much, I still don't know what to believe. Steve, thanks so much for joining me today, man. How are you? My pleasure. Yeah, we met a couple of years ago. You had Josh Adam Myers out for one of your shows, and he had me open for him. And Josh and I know each other from the crab feast yeah. and you and then uh you he was on your podcast uh-huh. after in that bus or something <laughs> right yeah that weird with, bus with, thing with a bunch of your friends which was a fun hang uh-huh. and uh and then we were all kind of just sitting around on that podcast telling telling stories and josh is like uh steve's got a crazy story dude it is it's the wildest thing i, I think i've ever heard you have a series of just unbelievable stories and i can't wait to get into this one but i did want to talk a little bit about mormonism first because you grew up in in the church right i grew up in the church uh seventh generation mormon my family were in it since the very beginning both sides mom's side and dad's side literally you know came out in the wagon trains that came west where before there was a road there had indian battles (laughs) you know and then proceeded to intermarry for the next seven generations. Like I don't even have a, a knuckle right here on my, I'm so inbred that I don't, I don't, I have a semi opposable thumb. It doesn't go all the way over. There's, it's a straight bone right there. It's like half simian. That That's because brothers and sisters and cousins yes. getting married and having babies. Sure. There was like 120 families that came out there as a part of this little cult and you can only marry other people that are Mormons. I broke the mold a little bit. I went to an Eskimo village and got married, but you're not supposed to do that. But people, but mostly like my brothers are all still married to the same, like the only girl that they have ever seen naked. And, you know, just like, and if you trace their family tree back far enough, our families have been married time and time again. Oh my God, dude, except, except you who went to yeah. an Eskimo village. <laughs> Yeah, dude, your life has been just a series of the craziest stuff I've ever heard. Um, Yeah, you were also the first person to tell me about soaking. I didn't know about soaking until I met you Uh, and you had some experience with that growing up, right? Well, listen, in their effort to keep you from being obsessed with sex, Mm -hmm they don't let you do anything to do with sex right. and that makes you obsessed with sex people with people with regular uh, hormones are obsessed anyway but if you make it a taboo also so you can't just go fuck a girl and then think about someplace else and go out with your friends and ride dirt bikes you have to spend hours rubbing your dick around the outside <laughs> hours dude i used to i used to sneak into a girl's house during high school for years i did this and we would never have sex we never had sex the entire time that i knew her it was just all games where you're skirting around the the fringes so that you're not actually having sex what did you in your head think people do when they have sex so you get into all this other kinky shit around it <laughs> like soaking yeah. it's just like 
but and it's way hotter. It's way hotter than just whatever clumsy sex everybody else is having when they're teenagers. It's just edging. That's really all it is. It's like, just edging. Tantric edging type powerful. stuff. It's tantric. Yeah. Yes, it's tantric. Literally, your that your is resting on their G spot for nine hours, <laughs> and everybody's just sweating and trying not to move. And nine hours, po- Steve. You were doing nine dude. hours soaks. Dude, long all Whoa, night long dude all night long soaks did you ever climax during no. these sessions no no because that's that's coming and that's bad oh that's... my god so i mean just the bluest nope. balls you could ever the bluest, imagine the truest bluest stainless steel balls <laughs> and you go home and you're angry and you get into fist fights at school this was the 80s and that was just the thing and everybody was not coming at this high school so every it was just like you could strike fire in any direction you give somebody you give somebody a, f- a fake look and they're, they're just fucking on it was fist fighting was very popular oh it's just my a hormonal valley. ticking time bomb for y'all yeah you're not even baiting so you're 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 that's forbidden you're so i Whoa. if you can stop baiting you could that's a you're you're rimming around the edge of madness after a certain amount of time. It makes it so you only always think about sex. Right. So you get it's married young thing. and start having mm-hmm. babies as quickly yeah. as possible. As quickly as possible. Uh-huh. Dude, that's, I mean, it, it was the same thing growing up in the shiny, happy people cult. Um, yeah. You know, we weren't supposed to, obviously, premarital sex was a huge no-no. We weren't even supposed to kiss before marriage and really in in the purity culture we weren't even supposed to touch at all i mean y'all y'all threw that one right out the window though i mean well we weren't supposed to be doing any of this shit but if you the girl she would absolutely have to go to her bishop and tell her bishop that you guys because (laughs) if she didn't she would go to hell and never see her family again yeah yeah so if you you would never see her again because the, the bishop would just step in and say you were, you were not even allowed to talk to each other. Uh, she, the bishop would basically step in and break you up. But if you did everything but she could, and sometimes including but. <laughs> I was about to you, say, yeah, you, the poophole loophole, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you did everything but that, she never had to go to her bishop and confess. Her bishop, by the way, was our, was her dad. So literally, she would have had to go and oh, tell her dad. Wow. He ran. Yeah, dude. I don't want to get too specific. She's she's a private person, and I don't want to say too many details. So in your editing, edit anything out that may <laughs> lead to her identity whatsoever. Yeah, no problem. Uh, let, let's just say these stories that I'm telling are an amalgam of people that you know. Sometimes one one person may represent an experience I've had with four or five people, not meant to represent right. a specific person. Yeah, for legal reasons, this was. A lot of people, not one specific person. Yeah. Did any of the the stuff that you did, the edging, the tantric stuff, did any of that carry over into your married relationship? Like, did you have like a, just a bunch of weird kinks once you got married? Uh, well, it was weird in that she was not Mormon. So she was okay. just the hottest girl in this Eskimo village. <laughs> so just the, the, not somebody who... You know, you're not using your brains when you're like, I just, I'm away from home for the first time. I haven't been, and, you know, I have, I've, I've been rubbing my dick around on some girls. <laughs> real clogged years. up. Yeah, real clogged up. And I'm away from home for the first time. And this girl, you know, we end up talking at a basketball game and I, and I'm like, uh, you know, 
we should go, you know, start making out and stuff like that. Like I had with the Mormon girls where everybody's got brakes on their go-kart. And, and uh, so we start making out and then like, uh, and then she just, um, you know, I think we're going to edge or rub it around the outside and she just sits on it and starts. <laughs> <laughs> and did you freak out? You just lost I it. Oh no, no my purity. And she says, we're doing it anyway. You're already going to hell. We might as well finish. So, wow. so we were, and, and, uh, the next day, the next day I went to the Eskimo everything store. And I bought a $29 thin gold ring and I proposed to her and we got married that next day, the next day. What? So you lost your virginity, proposed the next day, and then got married the following day. Got married the same day that I proposed. Oh, the same day. This happened yeah, in said, two wanna... days. In Alaska, there's no preachers or anything. Because remember, you're in the middle of the woods baby there's nothing like a like a preacher man that you can go to so literally what you do when you're in the bush is there's a fax number on the bulletin board at the post office and you send a fax <laughs> to juno saying me your full name and this you know girl i met in an eskimo village her full name are getting married today make a note of that so and you, then, and you they, had a fax order bride I had, a, I didn't even have, they didn't fax anything back. You use the receipt as your, <laughs> as your marriage certificate. So the, yeah, if the fax machine at the post office spits out a receipt, you laminate that and you're married. Whoa. And I, I, I mean, you said she was the hottest girl in the Eskimo village. Yeah. But like there was, normal there was three or four of them. one to 10 scale. I, I mean, what are we talking here, Steve? Like once you got back the, to the mainland. Eskimo village. 10 okay guys were fighting over that she she got with me because i had a return tick ticket in my pocket basically gotcha i worked at a radio station up there which is eskimo village famous yeah really. of course and so, a celebrity, so she yeah. yeah so she was getting the f out of dodge i think in her mind that's why what she was thinking because she could have had anybody <laughs> <laughs> she was in the clan of the cave bear she had the most beads on her on her necklace so she she was in eskimo village 10 and probably a real world i'm gonna be honest here i'm not gonna i'd say good solid four. Oh wow <laughs> no that's not bad listen i'm not a handsome man I'm not a handsome man. But you're funny, Steve. And so you could have a real world seven or eight, probably. Sure. And sure. instead, because, <laughs> because she finally relieved all that pressure in your penis, you went ahead me. and committed to the four. She, <laughs> she tricked me. She did. She got she, you as, as, as if she was a hypnotist, she tricked me. I know that there's there's like a, a period of time where you move back to the mainland, you start your own business, but at some point you ended up back in Alaska. And that's the part of the story that I want to get to. Um, but tell, yeah. tell me a little bit how you went from living in the, the lower 48 to, to back in Alaska, because that part's crazy too. So me and my village bride we um ended up going to i went to orlando 
because I heard that the economy was very good in Orlando. And I had, I had previously owned a little janitorial company mm-hmm. in the Eskimo, in the Eskimo village and also a little bit in Utah where I grew up. So I knew I wanted to go into the janitorial business for some reason. And uh, cause I told myself there was no money in radio. So and there isn't, I mean, great and, call because yeah, I, I worked in radio briefly and yeah. made zero dollars. Yeah. So yeah. you were right. Um, so bought, saved up my money and, and bought this, uh, a franchise of a national gen, you know, janitorial company. So you were one of thousands of those little franchises, but mine, I bought one in Orlando and then just proceeded to build a little janitorial business for myself, you know, handful of employees. Most of them were Haitian dudes, you know, so nice. see me and a pickup truck full of Haitian dudes cruising through Orlando in the middle of the night. What'd your village wife think of the Haitian guys? Uh, she liked them. I mean, they were, they were, they, some of them were nice. Some of them were, you know, dangerous, but, sure. uh, but that's true of everybody. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, she did so more women aren't allowed to work outside the home. So she, her job was a hundred percent just to stay home and, uh, have kids, but what, but it's the man who has to work. Uh, so she became a part of the Mormon faith. Yeah. She, she, she joined we were, I was like, do you want to know anything about it? And she's like, no, surprise me. You know, so, so she, so the missionaries came over, gave her the fewest number of lessons that they were allowed to before they could actually baptize her. And within a couple of days, she was baptized and committed for time and all eternity. And Dude, then she wanted to yeah. get out of that village bad. Yes. Yeah. She, Whoa. she was not dying in the woods. Like I don't her. care. It's whatever yeah. y'all are teaching is better than living out here. That's what we did. And I worked my ass off and I was happy, you know, and I would just, I would come home on my, my, my bride and, and hang out with my kids. Your ugly hot wife. (laughs) Yeah. And go, go to Mormon church. And, you know, I had a job in the Mormon church and I, you know, started being like a Sunday school teacher and just every, every job I worked my way up into kind of their leadership. Um, group and so everything was going well with church everything was i was making good money with the janitorial business and um and then this guy approached me on the street he's like hey you know i just got out of the navy and uh i got some money from separation i want to invest i want to get into the janitorial business but i don't know anything about it so you know could i buy half your janitorial business and i was like Yes, that we talked. We talked about that a little bit, but it was getting too big for me to handle. Yeah. Also, Orlando was dangerous. Like I had just recently gotten uh, duct taped up and put on the floor during a robbery Whoa. at a restaurant. Yeah, and helped the guys. Ended up helping the guys, like figure out how to get this giant safe out of the restaurant as a way to ingratiate myself to not get shot because they were shooting people and the, they were dread. That like this crew had been going to different restaurants and then they would come in, they would duct tape up the, whoever was at the restaurant, the cleaning crew or whatever, drag them into the walk-in where it was quiet and shoot them all in the back of the head and then take the safe out, out of, take the whole safe out of the. Wait, were you working leave. in the restaurant or just a I was, I was, I was cleaning it. Oh, you were cleaning so the it, restaurant. Okay. 
Yeah, my my janitorial company was cleaning it actually, and so uh, the cleaning the crew of Haitian guys that that worked for me had come through. But this was in the days before there were cell phones and you could check up on people. So I had to go through the city of Orlando to all the different places that we cleaned and make sure that everybody showed up, everything got cleaned, everything looks good, so that we're not going to get fired. You know, quality control shit. So I'm doing that with my little brother, who just got back from his Mormon mission one night. We're walking to this place in Winter Park, Florida called the Briar Patch and go in the back door, check and make sure everything got clean. Everything looks good. We're just coming on our way back out, open up the door and there's a bunch of dudes and ski masks holding guns to our heads. And they bring us back into this restaurant. We're freaking out because like we don't expect this. When somebody puts a gun in your face, the only thing you see is like that barrel. Oh, yeah, you just kind of black out a little bit. Yeah, and then also we've been reading about this in the news. It's the terror of janitorial companies all over (laughs) Orlando that there's this group of dudes out there ganking cleaning crews. So we're like, oh, shit, the worst thing has just happened. We just got caught by the vampire. So we we know we're about to get dragged into the meat locker and shot while these heads take take the safe out of the place. So... And they'd start duct taping us up, drag us over to, our, to, our, to the, the thing. They take everything. They go into our pockets, seeing if we have any money or anything like that. And meanwhile, the two of them are over there. And the safe is like from Cowboy and Indian days. It was like gigantic. And uh, so they couldn't lift it. And they couldn't. And the little, uh, they had brought over a dish cart because that's what they had used at other robberies <laughs> to get it out. But it was too big and it was squashing the yeah. dish carts. And I could see them like through, I was, I was like duct taped up on the floor and I could see them through a slit in my eyes. And while they were duct taping us up and I said, Hey, sir, if you don't shoot us, I will tell you how to get the, the safe out of here. <laughs> and he, and he just stops and, and he said, what? And I said, down at the gap, two, two doors down, there's a gigantic freight dolly that we use when we pull the ovens away from the wall. And it's just right behind the dumpster. If you go get that, you can strap that big safe on there, and it would t- totally it would be handle it no problem. And he doesn't say a word. He just stands up from. He was kind of sitting on my the small of my back, and he 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 stands up, and he just walks away and he goes and talks to the other guys. They don't they don't say anything, but through a slit in the duct tape, I can see like their feet walk out the restaurant, and then I see two of them come back with this. Dolly, just exactly where I told them it would be. They <laughs> spent a few minutes. They they strapped this huge fucking safe on there, tip it back, no problem, like a vending machine, and just take and take it right out. They don't say shit to me. They I don't. We don't even know where we're gone. They don't say goodbye. They don't say thank you. Nothing. They just they leave, leave you duct tape on the floor. Me and my brother duct taped on the floor next to the walk-in freezer, where we would have gotten shot. And Whoa. we and. They never caught. They got away clean because of me. They, they that that dolly gave them no problems. Li- li- loaded it right into their truck, and we're, they never caught them. The the owner told me there was like seventy thousand dollars in there. Seventy grand in that in old cash, timey safe. It was it was New Year's Eve that that, that this happened. So they had to, it was a huge night. So they picked the night to to do it. So they got the New oh yeah, Year's these were Eve smart thieves. Call. They knew exactly yes. what they were doing. But it just yeah. goes to show, don't be a hero. <laughs> you 
know? Don't be a hero. It's don't do it. Because you could have yeah. tried to fight him or something, and you would have ended up dead in the walk-in. Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't beat him, join him, Steve. I think that's the lesson. Yeah. <laughs> and you might as well take your shot, because the other way, you're going to get dragged. The worst they can, they can't shoot you in the head twice. I, right? th- this is just another example of some of the crazy experiences you've had. And once we get to the main story, it's going to make so much sense to everyone watching this. Why it's like, well, which one do I believe? Which version of your life do I believe? So you have this wild run in with these murderous safe robbers, but that still isn't as crazy as the story of how you ended up back in Alaska. Right. Well, the the safe robber story kind of goes to why I accepted that guy's offer when he offered to buy half the company because I had just that had just happened to me. So I was freaked the fuck out. And um, also he was like this badass. So I was like, that might be nice to have like a former Green Beret or whatever be my partner, because who else would be better to handle this? And also the Haitian employees were always like almost rioting all the time and never understood like their pay periods and just were constantly got brought a machete one time. So the, the Haitian employees, there was at one point 30 something of them and they like, it was, it was trouble. So uh, it, I was hoping that he would help with that too. So I took him up on it after very short amounts of negotiation. All right. And then that was it. We just, we were off to the races. We were doing uh, janitorial together. Uh, one red flag, first red flag that I ever had was that, it, that shortly after we had begun, like two months into our janitorial uh, partnership together, first of all, he laid waste to those Haitians. He went in there and just brawled with them. Like the first what? time one of them was like, tried to get in his face about like, my, my check is short. He just beat the shit out of this dude <laughs> on the loading dock in front of all the like took all covers just like took off his shirt and just started beating haitian guys like a movie and what and it was like literally he had been in the business with me a week and just well, was, i mean like, stevie had uh, to establish dominance i should have known i was in trouble that day i should have ran that was probably the last point that i could have gotten out clean is if i had just been you know what? I should have just left and not just changed, thrown my phone number away and just started a new life right then. But uh, two months in, he got uh, he he went to court. I didn't know he was in trouble, but he had um, got caught trying to murder his former business partner, a guy that he had come and bought half of his janitorial company, and then he beat tased the guy beat the guy over the head with his metal can and then wrapped him up in a painter's tarp and put it, put him in his truck and what? was, and was taking him out to the, the Everglades when he got pulled over by the cops because they saw he wasn't, his partner wasn't dead. He put his hand up over the tailgate and the cops saw somebody's hand over the tailgate and pulled him over out of curiosity and caught him. Oh with my an God. unconscious business partner, badly beaten in the head, you know, dude headed out to the Everglades. So they try him for attempted murder and he gets a good lawyer. And I don't know any of this is happening, but uh, he gets a good lawyer, but he um, plea bargains and down to 
grievous bodily injury or something like that. They, whatever the step down from attempted murder is, uh, pays the guy's, you know, hospital fees because he's been in intensive care for a long time and a um, bunch of fines and shit like that and does has to do a little bit of jail time for it. So he tells me a couple months in, hey, I have to go to jail for a little while. And I'm like, why? And he's like, oh, I got into a fight and, um, you know, I got the best of the guy because of my training and and, uh, and really beat the shit out of him. So I have to go serve like, <laughs> I forget what it was, six months or yeah. something like that. He couldn't that. really tell you, uh, yeah, the last janitorial company I tried yeah. to buy, <laughs> I, I, got I nearly killed my business partner. Yes. So you're Very you're cool. number two. Yeah, you were his second choice after he tried uh, yeah. pulling a fast one on his first business partner. Yeah, I'm lucky number two. Wow. So he goes away for six months, comes back. Maybe it's not even six months. I can't, I can't remember how long he was gone, but he was gone for a while because he had to serve time for the last dude. Uh, comes back, but trying to ingratiate himself to me. He's working with me. You know, we spend you spend a lot of time with somebody when you work with them. And you get to you, you tell each other stories, and um, he tells me stories of the military killing people, and he starts telling me stories about. And I think he's just like trying because he clearly enjoys my, me, you know, impressing this little Mormon guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just came from an Eskimo village <laughs> with his exploits, you know, in Panama. So um, he loves telling me stories, starts telling me stories about fighting people and hurting them, then starts telling me stories about fighting people and killing them. And I think my bullshit detector starts to go off. I'm like, this guy just likes telling me stories. So, you know, I'm not trying to solve any fucking mysteries. We're just trying to keep a janitorial business afloat. You know, so just I just let him talk. I think he's, I'm, I know he's clearly a fucking maniac because he, he had to just serve jail for, for beating some guy up so and fought all the Haitian guys talk. too. Yes. So I just let him talk. I maybe, I just try, I just try to overcome being his partner basically. So, uh, he then doesn't, doesn't get as much of a rise out of me. So he starts telling me more and more stories. So he starts telling me about times that he killed homeless people. And he starts telling me times about people, times that he killed, somebody in a bar because he kind of looked like him and he took his ID and then he basically opened a checking account with that guy's ID in his wallet and then uh, went to a tool rental company and rented backhoes and trailers and shit like that in this dead guy's name and then took him back to Florida and uh, sold him to a chop shop, uh, you know, before anybody even knew this dude was dead. So, He's up in the ante, and I am still thinking, well, he's telling me stories. So I'm just like, oh, that's crazy. Well, all right. Well, hey, hand me that pail of stripper. You know, we got to get this floor stripped. <laughs> I always just pivot back to Jim. I change the subject because I think that he's full of shit. But he's giving so you, like, start- some very specific, detailed stories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very detailed stories. Nothing that I could find anything. Remember, this is the infancy of the internet. Right. It's not like I could check any of this shit out. So somebody could just tell you they're a Navy SEAL, and you kind of got to take their word for it, mm-hmm. you know, just based upon whether or not their stories seem right or whether. But I'm thinking, like, I've known this dude for, like, six months. 
why is he, he no if he had was really killing people he would not tell me that he was killing people i've known me <laughs> he'd six be months crazy to share yes. all this stuff with me yes he doesn't know me like that so then he tells me that he killed his mother-in-law then he tells me one that's very specific he tells me that he killed his killed his mother-in-law uh and tells me all the details of how he did it and i was just like that's crazy you know that's well that's 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 terrible and i did what i always did and i just pivoted away from that story and he would just tell me more and more detail and then he would not shut up about having killed his mother-in-law to where it's the thing that he would most you could almost count on the fact that he was going to bring it up had you met his wife at this point yeah yeah did his wife seem normal yeah. Whoa. Yeah. The reason he killed his mother-in-law is because she told him that she had a life insurance policy in his wife's name. And she didn't, which means that, which is why the cops never looked at him as a suspect. His mother-in-law had been lying about having it just as a control tactic. But, and, um, he, but then he had told me that as part of the, as part of the story, basically. Because he knew that that's why the cops never looked at him is because she had been lying, and um, and then at one point he asked me if I, he, he said I think it would be a good idea because you and I are so integral to the business if we got life insurance oh, boy. on each other, and and that that way we could we could it would give us a chance to replace if each other if one of us happens but, to die. If, <laughs> If God forbid one of us falls into a wood chipper kind of thing, so he's like, he's like, if one of us, if, if one of us dies, it's not going to happen. But I just, I, I saw an ad for it and I answered it, and then some the rates are actually pretty reasonable. <laughs> what a and what a businessman, yeah. what a CEO. Yeah. Wow. And I said, and I said to him, I said, I said, I know that you, you're obsessed with life insurance about your mother-in-law and stuff like that. And I said, and if you're planning on killing me, if any of this shit is true, just keep it, just keep in mind that, uh, you know, maybe I might've told somebody, I basically had a, had a brief conversation with him. Like, Hey, I see you mother. Don't, you know, don't, I'm that's, that's your turn to fight. If you're thinking about trying to kill me, you better, you better think again, kind of thing. And I hang up the phone and the more I think about it, I'm like that mother he could be telling the truth about all this shit. All these stories, there might be some accuracy there. Yeah. So there's this moment where I like, like I think back on all the stories and I'm like, and I'm like, well, I've got to find out some way if any of this is true. Yeah. So I, so the day after Thanksgiving, I call uh, the yellow pages for private detectives and I catch one that's in the office. And I was like, hey, I need the help on something. I need to come down and talk to you right now. And he's like, okay. So I drive to his office. I sit down with him. I tell him the story and and, then I, and the whole thing. And I'm like, and the mother-in-law. So the mother-in-law is a real person. We can find, I said, can you see if some woman, I don't know the city, was murdered in this very specific way because this guy had had been a homicide detective in new york when he when i met so he knew how to find this shit out and he said yes i'm your man and uh so i leave 
and I don't know how long that thing was supposed to take. So I just wait, you know, it's just like the days before seems like the cowboy and Indian days, but you just wait for somebody to call you back. And a few days later, these murder detectives from Cincinnati knocked on my door and they're like, Hey, <laughs> we need you to come down. <laughs> we need you to come down and answer some questions about why you know so much about this unsolved murder that none of this shit was in the paper. And I was like, happy, happy to help you. Let's go. So we go down to the station. I tell them, I tell them this story all night until the sun comes up in the morning. They polygraph me. They voice stress analysis test me. They like, they like, okay. So we, you know, obviously you're business partner is a piece of shit well, he's a serial to, killer yeah yeah so we're gonna get him so they um so they and they said uh we you could tell him that you're gonna sell him the rest because they they they're gonna need to put me someplace yeah they're, they're, they're like he's he's there's no physical evidence that he did this it's only the fact that he told you shit that isn't in the news you're the paper. star witness yeah. yeah. So if something happens to you, we basically fucked the city of Cincinnati <laughs> out of, you know, maybe a million dollars for a capital murder trial, you know, uh, and we're not doing that. If one of his army buddies could just come over and put a pillow over your head, right? they're like, we need some place that we can send you. And we're the city of Cincinnati. So it's not like the federal government where we're going to set you up with a fucking job or give you a, any kind of new identity, that, all that fun stuff, like a yeah. racketeering so we witness. can help you. Yeah, we can help you do some things. Like we'll give you. They get. They got me like a Teflon license. Or if I got pulled over for a speeding uh, ticket, they would when they run my license, they would be in the comment section. It would just say "Do not cite." And then, as poor, you know, Cincinnati Police Department or you know Hamilton County, whatever it was. And then the, the officer would just say, "Have a nice day," and <laughs> you know, the people in Cincinnati say hi. Is what they would say. They would say something like that. But uh, so they did that for me. They helped me rent my house, and basically they sat in the, the district attorney set. You know, helped me find a. Um, uh, just basically, we went to one of the big real estate companies and said, "You know, this is what's happened. He has to leave. He to rent this house. He's not going to be able to call." Or, or have any contact with you. So here's his mortgage book. You just have to pay the mortgage and rent his house and then he'll be back when the trial's over. But they said, you know, you're going to need some money to get started up there. So what if you told him you were going to sell, you were gonna wanted to sell the other half of the business for whatever money he has, you know, and just, and they said, and just, you know, he's going to prison for the rest of his life. So you could just ask for the cars and just everything, just negotiate as much as you possibly can. And here's the reason why they did that, because they wanted me to tap him out so that when, it, oh. when he had, was facing a capital murder trial, mm -hmm. he would get a public defender. Right. And then they would stomp that public defender. And that's pretty much what happened. Wow. Uh, so... And they, and, they, and they said, uh, and we will use that opportunity when he gives you that money to arrest him. So that's exactly what we did. They, they sat on their hands for a couple of days. I was just like, I have an emergency. I'm not living here anymore. I'm having panic attacks because of the robbery. Whatever you can, you know, you and I are not getting along. I've got paranoid feelings like you're going to kill me and shit like that. <laughs> you can have the business, whatever you've got. What have you, like, how much cash have you got? He told me how much cash he's got. And I was like, that's not, you know, how much cash could you get from your mom? And calls her, calls me. His mom was our accountant, basically. So 
she tells him how much money she's got. And, 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 uh, and I'm like, well, that's not enough. What about your truck? Is that paid off? You know, so his truck was paid off. So, uh, so what about your wife's truck? No, it's not paid off. That's where upside down on that one. I was like, okay, so deal of a lifetime. You're going to get the whole business on your own. You know, it's a much better deal than the half that he bought from me already. So I get all of his money, all of his mom's money, the money he could borrow from his mom, you know, uh, and his pickup truck. He meets me over at this restaurant. I shake his hand. <laughs> I get the money. He hands me the keys of the truck, signs the title over. I drive away and I watch in my rearview mirror as the police department descends upon this restaurant and arrest him. As you're leaving, that's how as they I'm made leaving. the arrest? That, yeah, that's how they knew where he would be. No they, way. They, yeah. <laughs> they they basically used that as a as a as a as a meet. So at this point then, you know you gotta get out of town. The next day. The next day I is- go home. Yes. We're already we're already packed, you know, because it's been a couple a couple of days now since since they sat me down. You know, they sat on their hands for a couple of days. So we're all we just basically have a big garage sale and give it all away. And uh, and then we've got all this money that he just gave us and the money that he gave us six months ago. So he just bought himself a janitorial company that's going to crash into the side of a mountain. Yeah. And and they send us to Alaska. They, they, they flew my family up. I drove my van and my um i've always been a van guy and my uh pulled my little toyota pickup truck on a um on a trailer up there all the way up from florida up the alcan highway to anchorage this time we moved, we didn't go to the eskimo village yeah that was too many memories too there hard. obviously yeah it's just too hard <laughs> you know but uh you know someplace give me some place with a mcdonald's you know so went to Alaska. They helped us set up our utilities so that they weren't in our name and, you know, a few little things like that. But then we just sat there. We, we lived off the money that he gave us. We, we just flew back and forth for like grand jury testimonies and stuff like that while they went through the process <laughs> of the murder trial. And that took, you know, I forget how long, a year, a couple of years, really. And I bought um, a couple of, of acres of property way outside of town, you know, in the willy wags. Cause I was still super paranoid cause they were like, okay, so we, we don't need you anymore. We got him, you know, good, good job. And you know, of course he'll, he'll file for appeals. This could all, you know, he, he can get out and come murder you. For anytime he wants. Yeah, exactly. Anytime he wants, but you know, let us know, you know, and we'll, and we'll let you know if he ever escapes from prison. And uh, so I was paranoid as a mother. You know, so uh, I built, I just went out into the woods, like back up against a, a national park where there was no, no houses behind me. And I just built kind of a, like I buried a rail car underneath. I like, I, I, you got a I bunker? built the kind of house. I built a bunker underneath my house. <laughs> yeah. I built a safe room bunker that could get, was accessible by a slippery slide that you could get to from, from the master bedroom or one of the kids' bedrooms. So <laughs> like, I, like I, I, I built, if you walk through that house, you could say the person that built this house was afraid of something. Oh, well, <laughs> there were and places, justifiably places so, it's shotguns. just hilarious yeah. that you made your safe house accessible by theme park ride. 
That's yeah. hysterical. <laughs> yeah, but through a secret, a secret place that nobody knew where that where it was. Right. Yeah. You know, Scooby Doo stuff. <laughs> so, so yeah, just lived, stayed up there after the murder trial. Just there was nothing to come back. I've still never been to Orlando since. That was the last when I walked out of town in nineteen what is that ninety four or something like that. That was the last time I have been to Orlando. So I just. Um, bought the property. You don't have to have anything like building permits or anything like that up there. You just can go to town. So I just like rented a bulldozer, bulldozed all the trees down, you know, and just built built a house over the and lived in a tent and sometimes a van on the property with my family while I did it in, in, in Alaska? Alaska. Yeah, yeah. Bears. What <laughs> coming through and eating the dogs ate our goat <laughs> they hate you your know, dog to... yeah oh yeah we lost a lot of dogs in there. Oh like you God. have to have a dog up there otherwise the bears will eat your kid. you didn't you tell something... me this part of the story the first time <laughs> oh no alaska living in the willy wags of alaska is a whole tap dance because you have to have a, da- a dog because the dog will tell you when there's a bear sneaking up on you so the bear will go and fight the dog will go and fight the bear loses every time but <laughs> oh my God, that's gives... awful <laughs> Yeah, it's a perfect record with no, you don't come back undefeated for the Bears. Yeah, but it gives you a chance to get your kids in the house and to get your gun and to and to shoot the bear. And that kind of thing happened all the time because we're like in it. How many dogs did you go through, Steve? Lots, bro. Oh my god, oh, that makes me so sad. We we named them all Tex. That's how long, (laughs) that's how many dogs. We have. X we one just, through 20. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. I mean, I mean, a, a bear ate my friend's baby on a, on a, on a berry picking thing. What? Just, they were, they were, they ganked a, a, a jogger. They, people get killed by bears all the time up there. They, they're monsters, dude. I fucking hate bears. They're monsters. Oh my God. And they eat people. Ate a baby? And yeah. And didn't make a sound. They, 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 they were just, they were, they were picking blueberries and they heard a noise of something running away from them. And then they looked back and their baby was gone. So it had to have been a bear. Dude. So the bears are you now live in this crazy wild west outlaw country. Yeah. So out there, I'm out there building the house in the woods. You know, you save up money to for the concrete, and then you set the forms yourself, and you like you have books that show you how to do everything, and you ask people. And so it takes a long time for me to build this house. It takes like ten years, maybe, to build this house. A long time because I'm doing it myself, except for just a few uh, helpers that we would hire to do heavy stuff, you know, like rafters and stuff like that, but. Basically, just fucking gotten it out, you know. Ten and, a ten uh, year process yeah. to build this house, all the while living out of tents and vans. I mean, your your poor Eskimo village wife thought she was escaping from that life by marrying you, and now she's just right back in it, right back at yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pregnant up there helping me you know in an unfinished house holding, holding the other side of the board wow. like you know she was tough who played who in, in that's, that way you know 
Yeah. Because she thought she was getting you way back in in the Inuit village. And then you you uh, really got her back with this whole well, witness protection thing. You know what that's called? That's called karma. That's right. Eskimo yeah. karma. It'll dump, it'll, it'll dump you off in a deeper place than where you started. <laughs> yeah. So we, we built this house, Mormoned it up. You know, I was a Mormon elders quorum president, living that Mormon life, wearing magic underwear, going to church every day, praying morning, noon, and night, you know, keeping all the rules. And uh, Mormons aren't allowed to drink coffee or alcohol, so I'd never, you know, that was not, never my thing. But I made friends with some people. Now, the, our nearest neighbors were not close in Alaska, and especially that part of Alaska, things are kind of spread out. But the, the neighbors that were closest to us was a young family. And this dude was, uh, you know, an army ranger They were, that were stationed up there. Okay. And just a super badass right i just like i love this guy like he would tell me stories about and this was like during the the you know the wars happened right. and he was like tip of the spear and he was just like he was the guy that you play when you play a but, video game. but also your last experience with a sure. special ops yeah, guy but, was not great sure. yeah <laughs> this didn't yeah. give you ptsd at all I think I must be attracted to that kind of person, but I fucking loved my friend in Alaska. He had tons of stories, but they weren't psycho stories. Right. They were like real stories of like, of like cool shit that he did. He did some cool shit. And I, we would fly little helicopters together and like these little remote control helicopters and little remote control airplanes and build them together. And we just hang out all the time. And his kid, his, his kid was the same age as my kids. And so we would just Christmas with them all the time. And they were just our best friends up there. And he had been gone. Oh, and so over the years, you know, we got, got close. I would, I would, he couldn't ever smoke weed or do drugs or anything like that. Cause he was in the army right. and they tested him, but I would, to ask him story because before he was in the army he had he had been a normal person mm -hmm. that had gone out there and done normal shit like had smoked weed before and i was curious about all that stuff so we when we would be sitting and talking i would i would ask him questions about it about you know what's marijuana like and you know alcohol what's that like and just you know that kind of thing so he would tell it to me and he was fascinated by my crazy upbringing because it was so different than his uh, bringing in the army, basically joined the army right out of high school, you know, so he'd been in the army for, you know, 20 years or some goddamn thing. And, uh, but so one time he was, he had been at war for a long time and it had been rough on him. He'd lost a lot of friends and shit like that. And he's like, my friend, my, some of the guys that I, in my, I don't know what the terminology is, unit or whatever, um, I've been talking about this shit that's not marijuana, but it's like marijuana, but it's like fully legal. And he's like, if you want, I'm going to surprise my family. I'm going to be back on Christmas this year. So if you want to, you could apparently just go down to any head shop and get this fully legal thing. Uh -huh. And you could get us a big ass bong and it's not against the Mormon church rules and it's not against the army's rules. So, you know, that can be our present to each other is I can sh finally show you what it's kind of what it's like. They said it's pretty close to marijuana. So let, let's let's make that our present to each other. And I said, perfect. I will get it all. 
So I went to the head shop and I got the biggest, craziest bong that they had. I got fucking blowtorch to light it. <laughs> and just, I just went all out, you know, every crazy thing. Cause it was our present name and I'd missed him. I hadn't seen him for a long time. So I wanted to kind of go all out. And then to the, the guy working the register is like, and then my friend told me about this stuff. It's not marijuana. It's like fully legal. And she goes, salvia oh no <laughs> and i and because i don't know and i'm just to a certain extent just trying to bullshit my way through this head shop per transaction i'm just like yeah salvia That's, that must be and what she's it is like yeah well she says well we have different strengths we've got the 10 times the 20 times the 30 times and the 100 times <laughs> and i'm like like, like I'm not like, well, let's get the strongest one because I don't want to come up like a pussy. Obviously, this is my badass friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't want to go small dick to my special forces friend uh, Christmas pre present. So I get, we get the strongest one. Ring it up, take it home, wrap it up, put it in his gun room down in his basement uh, with a big bow on it that says is what had both of our names on. And then uh, he came home, surprised everybody. Our families come down and have Christmas together, which we normally would do. Right. We, we and uh, but so we were all, you know, the kids open the presents, and he he and I sneak downstairs, and I'm like, I've got our, our present downstairs. So we go down there into his gun room while the kids are opening their presents, open up this big bong. He, he shows me how to load it up with water and shit like that, and uh, we take this salvia out. I tag the ball and I'm like, I'll go first. Cause I want to seem like I'm not, I'm <laughs> like, I'm, I'm brave. Right. And yeah. I think I'm not a square. Is, I, have, I can I do this. I often asked myself, why did I go first? You know, <laughs> I have like, so uh, I load this giant bowl piece with like half the pack of, uh, of that. Of the hundred times salvia. Yeah. It was God. black. It was, it was jet black. And, and then just, uh, you know, practiced taking a draw a few times before I let it just so that I could kind of see like a nerd. And, he said, yep. and he's like, and I'm just like, you know, he's just like, you just want to like as much as you can all at once, you know, and oh. then hold it for as long as you can. So that's what I do. I hit this thing with a micro torch. <sighs> Biggest hit that I fill this giant bong, take the bowl piece off all that shotguns into my, into my lungs. And, I remember the world opened up under me. Like it was like a pit opened up under me and I started to fall and I dropped everything I was holding and I grabbed, trying to grab around his neck so that I wouldn't fall through the, through the floor. But I did, I missed and I just fell through the floor and I just kept falling and falling and falling and then came out and I was on the deck of this little, water ski boat in the middle of a lake and it wasn't winter time it wasn't christmas it was sunny and warm and i was coughing i was coughing up water and there were a bunch of dudes around me kind of shaking me and fussing with me and they like got me up and were pounding on my back and they're like holy shit we thought you we lost you there for a second and i'm looking around and i don't know any of them i'm on a water ski boat with like a too tight life jacket and still coughing and stuff like that but like it seems real it seems like as real as like the boat feels like the boat and the water feels like the water and i really feel like i'm coughing up 
fucking lung here. And I'm like, and I sit down and I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> and, and then all of my friends like get like, all the people around me just like stop talking and they're like, what? And I'm like, this is amazing. I, and I like, I'm touching them and stuff like that. And uh, so I think that that's what being on marijuana is like. You transport so that, to this other world. I get because nobody can really explain it to me. I was like, I see why kids fucking do this. Yeah, you know, this is like, you know, I'm, I mean, it's, it's summertime, you know, and I've got these non-player characters all around me, you know, that are, that are like, like what the, f-? you know. So I'm laughing, I'm like touching the thing, and then like my friends are like start talking to me, and I don't know who, they, who any of them are on this little water ski boat, so they like get worried that I don't remember anything. And so they rush me to this like walk-in clinic, like uh, it's like an emergency room, not attached to a hospital. Urgent care places. type facility. Urgent care. Yeah. yeah. So they take me to this urgent care. They didn't even put the boat on the trailer. That's how big of a hurry they thought it was. They just basically side tied it to the dock and just well piled into the truck and they took me to urgent care. So they, they're like, hey, this is my friend. We were water skiing. He went down and was face down when we got the boat back to him, and we and he was out for a little while. But now he's conscious, but he doesn't remember any of us or any of that. And uh, so the doctor asked me a bunch of questions, and some of them, you know, some of them I knew, and some of them I didn't know, and tested my reflexes, shined a flashlight in my eye, and basically tells them, you know, his pulse oxygen looks good and he's not got there's no sound in his lungs and uh you know he doesn't remember who you any of you are and thinks he lives in alaska uh and that he's in witness protection but so i think maybe he just got his bell rung he tells them essentially there's not that true medical amnesia really isn't a thing no matter what they they use it as a plot on soap operas all the time but it's it's almost unheard of so that the fact that i'm just gonna forget them all is not he says, like, he just, you know, his brain's kind of given a hard restart. Just take him home. He'll, he'll, he'll be fine by morning, probably. Let me know if he's not. So they take me to an apartment where I apparently live, you know, uh, I, which I'm unaware of. They use keys that are in my jeans to open the, to open the door. And I go in, and they basically are like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, you know, how long does this stuff take? You know, I'm, I'm convinced I'm still tripping on marijuana and I'm telling them all that I'm tripping on marijuana I'm, it's Christmas I'm gonna I mean do they make fun family. of you for saying tripping on marijuana at least they got really worried all of it really worried them but they were like they, they, yeah they would giggle and, and joke about it a little bit but I could tell that they were freaked out and we're, we're, one of them almost like slept over but it wasn't really a place for them to sleep over so he said well you know I'll see you tomorrow and just kind of closes the door and I just walk around this little one bedroom apartment and just look at shit for hours waiting for the, you know, just kind of like open drawers and there's stuff and there's pictures of me with some of the guys that were, that were on the boat and there's a yearbooks that I look through and they have pictures that aren't me, that, I mean, of me in these yearbooks, you know, of, of, of a high school life that I had in in tyler texas and just you know mementos and tchotchkes and you know camping here and just just shit that 
I would own, but I didn't own any of that. And I just kind of like nod off on the couch and wake up to pounding on my door the next morning. And one of the friends from before is like, hey, you didn't show up for work. You okay? You okay? You okay? Stand up. You look okay. All right. You feel okay. All right. Go get dressed. I'm going to take you to take you back to work. So he loads me into his truck and takes me to work just kind of down the street at this big farm that where you work for this family that owns a giant, you know, hundreds of acres of uh, orchards for apples. And we basically supervise migrant labor during this time of the year, what? you know, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, take care of the farm in the, in the winter time and stuff like that. And they had a whole thing where they make cider and shit like that, apparently, but like shows me this job that I have and gives me a clipboard. And it's my job that day to make sure, you know, count how many forklift things full of, of apples get loaded into each truck and shit like that. And I just stand there with a bemused look on my face and tell everybody I can that I live in Alaska and it's Christmas and I smoke some marijuana <laughs> and how long does this last? It seems like it lasts in a really long time. Uh, so I just stand there with the music look on my face and they, my friends kind of cover for me and tell the, the farm owner, like, Hey, you got his bell rung this weekend. You know, you know, he's, he's going to be fine. It's just, the doctor says it'll come back to him. So, Friends dropped me off at my house at the end of that day. And that just goes on for eight years. Eight years. Yeah. You have eight years worth of memories living in Tyler, Texas, working on this farm. Yeah. Not ha- I mean, you didn't have a family, right? You just had your one bedroom no. apartment, separate didn't group of friends. Had a bunch of, of dude friends, and some of them had girlfriends, but uh, yeah, and just worked at this farm, you know, and, and I, w- I would, you know, I knew that I was just, I had smoked something that had made me come there, mm-hmm. and I knew who I really was, you know, I was Steve Cantwell, I was in witness protection in Alaska. I just built my own house with my own bare hands. And I, I was in the gun room of my special forces best friend. And we were, and he, he was helping me ex- experiment with, with, with uh, drugs that were taboo. And, you know, uh, but the problem was, is, you know, they had the internet at this point a little bit enough where you could look up shit, at least like, newspaper articles like the trial was in the newspaper and all this stuff so uh we there was no trace of me anywhere so uh, there was no trace of the murder trial there was no trace of my dad or like the you know the the town that i grew up in looked completely different you know than than the way i had remembered it and there was like no trace of me anywhere Uh, you know but there was trace of me in this little it living in tyler right and 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 everybody in tyler had known me my entire life were you still mormon my family no 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 i was not mormon but i had perfect knowledge of everything with those mormon and that used to freak my friends out so i would tell this story to them i would be like mine they would like at parties they would be like hey Tell them who you really are. Tell about the Mormon stuff, about the witness protection. Yeah. 
And they would get out. My friend had a, a, one of those cheapy giveaway copies of the Book of Mormon that he had gotten somewhere. And he would have me quote like chapter and verse out of this thing. And people would ask me questions about the Mormon church. And I was unfucking stumpable. And they told me, and they're like, I've known you your entire life, bro. You have never been Mormon. You know, we we went to elementary, junior high, and high school together. There's no chance that they were, you were nothing. You were Episcopalian, if anything. You Did know, you have extended family. family that you were introduced I had, to? I, I had no. I had a, I had my parents and my sister both apparently died in a car accident, like not long after I got out of high school, and so I just kind of had been living in an apartment that was owned by the farm and working at this farm, and that's just kind of where I landed when my family died. But I didn't remember any of that. But everybody in town remembered right. that. Yeah, and uh, people would come up to me in the grocery store and treat me like I was brain damaged. Just be like, you know, I know you don't remember me, but my name is Susan and we were in elementary school together and your sister and my sister were friends. And honey, I heard about your water skiing accident and we're all just praying for you (laughs) and God bless you. And I would hug them and just be like, I'm not crazy. I just, you know, well, for the first half of it, probably. For the first four years, you mean? Yeah, for the first four years. I was like, no, I, um, you know, I thought maybe I had died. I thought maybe I was in a coma. This is what it was like as, as a coma. I would just, maybe it was I heaven, was Steve. Obsessed. I was, I, I experimented, I, I, I considered myself to get, to get back to, to Alaska or what I didn't know how to make myself stop having this trip is what I called it. But, uh, I, I I hardly hung out with my friends. They would have to come over and make me hang out with them because I would just keep to myself and just on the internet and just, you know, constantly trying to figure out what the fuck could happen. <laughs> trying to find the old you. Did you, uh, yeah. did you date at all or anything? No, I had a crush on, I had a crush on a lady, but I never did anything about it. I was just too obsessed. I considered myself married still. You know, oh, yeah. and that I was married for time and all eternity. I've been married at that point for 21 years, you know, to the chick that I met in the Eskimo village and had four kids. And I just desperately, you know, missed my family. You know, it's a long time to go without seeing your family. And I just didn't know what was happening to me. I thought maybe I was in a coma or dead or something. Mm. So, because um, you think, you know, maybe the God's wrath, you know. <laughs> And I would look up stuff about the Mormon church, you know, and I was, my memories of how everything was with the Mormon church were, were perfect. You know, I was, if, so that was kind of how I would prove to myself that I knew that because I knew so much about the Mormon church that would, that's, that could prove to me that that has really happened because there's no explainable reason why I would have big hunks of the Book of Mormon mm-hmm. memorized and all this arcane doctrine that they that we ascribe to and memories of the you know the temple ceremonies and things like that. So but then that kind of kicked back on me because that was the first time I ever researched the Mormon church on the internet without somebody looking over my shoulder. Really? And so, and especially some of the temple stuff uh-huh. is where it started the threads to, because I was like, cause the temple stuff is like secret to us. Right. 
But if you research stuff on the internet, everything's there. So that led me to kind of like look in places that weren't necessarily the Mormon church version of the way everything happened. And that is how I slowly, over the course of years, walked myself back from Mormonism to where I, I, I stepped into that gun room, a fully no, doubting nothing, doubting nothing, never looked into it, never, because that was, that's what Satan wanted you to do. But, but stuck in my, what my trip, I felt safe to just look at everything. And when I looked at everything, if you look at everything and you really look, you will figure it out. Mm -hmm. You start seeing those inconsistencies and yes, the stuff that all that shit. Yeah. Yes. All that shit didn't. And all that shit didn't happen 2000 years ago. It happened in the 1800s when there was full, you know, newspaper Mm -hmm. accounts of everything. And so you read all of that and you will tell yourself a completely different story. And then you realize, Oh my God, I'm in a cult. And then you (laughs) grieve the death of your God and you, you know, realize you've wasted your whole fucking life and you realize, oh my God, I was just so horny. I married the girl in an Eskimo village. <laughs> now, you know, and now I'm in Whitnack and you know, I have to live like an animal in, in Alaska because I'm afraid of, you know, my business partner escaping from prison, you know, so I've my life. And I had kind of like a midlife crisis in this, in Tyler, Texas, mm-hmm. and just kind of like, you know, you know, talked myself out of being Mormon and told myself that maybe I did have brain damage, <laughs> you know, may, maybe I had imagined everything. If everyone in town is telling me that they have known me my whole life, if there's photographic evidence of me living my whole life in this town, and if there's no evidence of me in this other thing, then the whole thing is just a big, it's 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 a, a, an artifact from a water skiing accident. Right. It's a head scratcher and a funny story. So once I just kind of embraced that, that I was brain damaged, I started hanging out with my friends more. You know, I started, we started doing stuff and I just, I just kind of opened myself up to life a little bit more because I was like, I tried, you know, now when I would see people at the grocery store, they were like, you don't remember me. My name is Susan. I'd be like, I don't remember you, but tell me who you are and I'll remember you. And then I would make a point when I saw her again, I would be, hi, Susan. I still don't remember you, but I love you, you know, and just, you know, you just get to be part of the community a little and not having to worry about being Mormon anymore is a huge, you know, load off. And you go through all the shit where you're, you know, wonder what really is going on in the world if anything and you know you wonder about why you used to think that you were mormon and ha, 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 wasn't that crazy and gosh i wonder what about my personality made me imagine such an extravagant fantasy life for myself oh i was a living in witness protection i <laughs> built a house out of my own Ooh, a bear ate my friend's baby you know like, like all of that i'm like what about me you know i'm starting to like i would pick apart that and be like, why, why did I make that up of all things? That just seems so, such a, I wonder what that says about me psychologically kind of thing. Played in a cover band, you know, played the ukulele in a cover band. I knew how to play the ukulele when I got there. There was one on the couch 
never played the ukulele before. There was one on the couch in my apartment when they dropped me off. I picked it up and my fingers knew where to go. Huh. And I still know how to play the ukulele. I don't know any, I don't know how to read music or what any of the chords names are or anything like that. But my fingers know about 15 chords or something and a few and a bunch of like Billy Joel songs and shit like that. So it's just, <laughs> it, it just came. You played like, ukulele in a Billy Joel cover band? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and one day I was walking across the park uh, and had a bucket of chicken in my arm, could see my friends in the distance playing hacky sack and shit. And then just the grass opened up, like a hole opened up, just like it had happened at my friend's house. I fell through this hole, and then there was this brief sensation of falling, and then there was a spinning sensation, and I fell up into my body on that on the floor of that gun room, and my ex-wife was behind me, holding my head, going, wait, hang up, I think he's okay, I think he's okay. And I was just, went, I was having a full-on seizure. And then it just, like, calmed down. And I was, like, and the world was spinning, spinning, spinning. And then I felt it lock into place where I was spinning at the same rate as the world. And then it all stopped spinning. That was the, that was the exact sensation of coming back into my body. What the hell? And my... And my army friend was standing there with a phone in his hand, literally had dialed like nine one, and he hangs up the phone because he's gonna have to explain why, mm -hmm. you know, his friend OD'd in his basement, kind of thing. And then my wife is, just, and he's like, "Has he ever had had any kind of seizures before?" And she's like, "No, this is the first time." And so I immediately burst into tears and just tell them both this story and he's like okay okay shut the fuck up <laughs> like our kids are upstairs opening presents you keep your voice down okay i haven't seen my kids haven't seen them in eight years and my kids can hear me crying you know the other and they're like what's wrong with daddy and i'm like pepper pepper come here and i'm trying to call that and then he's pushing them out of the he's like he closed it and he's like hey you gotta get yourself together <laughs> Or you'll get me in trouble with my wife. Freaking basically. out, man. So he, yeah, he's like, you're freaking out. Shut the fuck up. Okay. Uh, he's like, I don't know that I want to go second. First of all. <laughs> On second thought, you, I don't think I should do this. And uh, they're up there making Christmas dinner for us. The total elapsed time, by the way. Like, I forget, like a minute, 90 seconds, something like that. Enough time for him to go. Julia, Julia, have her run downstairs and get the phone and start to dial 911. But I mean, was that, that's basically, that's how long I was on the floor having a seizure. That felt like every minute of eight days to me. So that, that minute and a half was the only or whatever time it, you know, out, whatever, yeah. whatever it was. And that was eight years in Tyler, Texas. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. Eight years of working at a farm, you know, insomnia, crying about your kids that you thought that you imagined. <laughs> you know, it is, you know, eight years, hard eight years, hard quitting your religion, yeah. leaving the death of your God. It was a full eight 
years of self-reflection. I walked into that gun room, a Mormon, and walked out an atheist. Wow, dude. Okay, so all of that carried over immediately. Immediately. And you immediately the, I and you could still play the ukulele. Yes, I could still play the ukulele. So <laughs> my wife, I, I tell her this. She she's like, shut the f up. You, I've pissed myself, right? Obviously, I'm laying in a puddle of piss on the floor. So my friend goes and gets me some banana uh, pajama pants. Okay. He's like, here, <laughs> pee pants. Go wash. Go across the, the the door. You know, take a shower over there. Get these clothes on and come up for fucking Christmas dinner. <laughs> so my wife trundles me into this bathroom, stands there and talks to me. And I'm just talking a mile, million, million miles a minute, telling her this fucking story of what I happened. I thought I imagined you and I thought I imagined the kids and it was real. It was just like now. And there's no God. There's no God whatsoever. <laughs> you know, so I'm, just, I'm just rambling on all of this shit. And she's just like, I can't believe you have ruined Christmas. Basically, <laughs> you're embarrassing me in front of the neighbors. You pissed all over the floor in there. What the fuck is wrong with you? And I get like I'm still I'm still so out of it. I get out of the shower and I drying off and I wipe between my legs and I realize I've also shit myself. Oh, and so I smear oh, shit man. all over their back. I'm telling you. So take another shower. Anyway, so get myself together come upstairs in borrowed clothes to my gorgeous family sitting in front of a picturesque window and, and with a big Christmas dinner on it. And there's like snow outside in the background and they're all, are you okay? And I just lose it. I just lose it. I'm like falling up and weeping and trying to keep myself under control at the, at the Christmas dinner table at my neighbor's house. And my friend, his wife is mad at him for, for and she like quasi blames him for talking to the nice Mormon couple into doing drugs. I think he's giving me acid or something like that. But like he's trying to, he's, he's still trying to like, it's not his fault really. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't know it was a hallucinogen that I smoked. But they are normal people, so they must suspect that there's a hallucinogen at play. So I like, Weep my way through Christmas dinner, <laughs> petting my kids' heads, crying, you know, because like, I haven't seen them in eight years. Right. Thought they were not just dead, but never existed, you know? And it's Christmas. It feels like a Christmas carol movie or something like that, because it's just like, it's Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. And it's like, I didn't miss the day. No time went by. I had this huge epiphany of my life, you know, that was going to change everything. I'm gonna, and we immediately, after Christmas called a real estate friend of mine. I said, I want to sell my house. I want to sell it today. I'll take any cash offer because money's not real. And we're not here. <laughs> wow, dude, You're having an I existential did. crisis at this moment. Uh -huh. Yeah. So the day after Christmas called my friend who was a realtor and he's like, I'll have a call back to you in an hour. So, um, and then I call and I didn't own a mortgage on it. So I didn't have to, I owned it outright. Mm -hmm. Cause I had built it myself and, 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 and then I, my business that I owned up there, I owned that outright. I didn't have any. So I put an ad on Craigslist and I sold my business in 13 hours Whoa. or some shit like that. Yeah, I was just like, 
and and then we took that money and the money that we had saved for retirement and rainy days and the money all the money from the house and the money from the business and we just moved to Hawaii. Hawaii of all places that's where you decide yeah. to go. I bought two sailboats and I moved my family onto the sailboats. <laughs> and I was like this there's no god this might be a simulation. <laughs> And uh, we're not Mormon anymore, so it's going to freak my family out. But I just want to let you all know that that's, this is not real. So here's some sailboats, and we're all just going <laughs> to we're all going to live on the sailboats in the nicest part of the simulation. Why shovel snow? Absolutely, if no. It's, I if it's a couldn't agree snow. more. Yeah. If if none of yeah. this is real, well, let's let's yeah. at least go to paradise for yeah. our fake our yeah. fake lives. And they're like. And then we don't have to go to church anymore. It's like, nope, no more church. None of that was real. That was all just a cult that we were in. And daddy figured it out on the, on the floor of Carl's, <laughs> Carl's gun room. And uh, just kidding about all that uh, Mormon stuff. So Dude, that's what happened. I mean, it it's so wild because you think about both stories, right? And this is what we were kind of alluding to earlier. Your quote unquote real life being a Mormon, owning the janitorial business, moving to Alaska, marrying your your Eskimo wife, having to go to witness protection because of, you know, this serial killer that you were business partners with. There's that, yeah. which is your supposedly real life versus this very bland, normal life that you lived for eight years in Tyler, Texas. I mean, you think about yeah. which one sounds more unbelievable it's it's your real life it's the one i can prove yes yeah but the one in tyler texas that seems way more realistic i mean you couldn't prove yes you couldn't prove your mormon life in in the tyler texas simulation and you can't prove your tyler texas life in the mormon simulation so you're just i mean dude i don't think i totally understand why you had to just get away from everything, move out to Hawaii in the sailboats, because I think, I I mean, existential crisis probably doesn't even begin to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. And I just, and I would just lay out there on a little dinghy on the ocean in the middle of the night and take as many mushrooms as I can fit in my stomach. (laughs) And just stare at the sky, and I and and I just I was literally trying to come down off of thinking that I knew the answers to how all the whole universe worked, and realizing I know nothing. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, some people think there is no universe, and that this all might be a fucking trip because this doesn't feel any more real than that. Felt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why should I believe that this is real? Uh, that's so, that's my whole thing. Like that's why it freaks me out so bad and and by the way i've i've done salvia before didn't have anywhere close to the experience you did but then again i also didn't shotgun it through a bong at a hundred times it wasn't also the first drug you had ever tried okay that's also a good first smoke of any kind that never gone into my virgin baby girl lungs (laughs) i didn't even drink coffee at this time in my life you know or tea it was tap water and you know the occasional glass of milk Wow, dude. So, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I guess from that perspective, maybe it it, it would have hit you a, a little harder than the normal person. But still, yeah. I, I had like a 
you know, I had a weird trip when I did it, but you were gone for eight years over the course of 90 seconds. That's insane. Yeah. Or maybe you just switch timelines for a little bit. Change channels. Yeah. You you ran through an interdimensional portal. I never really came back because that guy that existed Mm. before that Christmas, that guy did never existed again. My life is, I'm a comic now, yeah. you know, and, and I lived, we lived on sailboats and we had this whole crazy adventure in Hawaii. That was nothing. There was nothing. I, I started doing comedy. I started not caring about money. I realized that money wasn't real. I just, uh, you know, that guy is nothing like the paranoid, not masturbating <laughs> that went into that gun room. <laughs> That guy's dead. Yeah, he's gone. I went. I I'm living three different lives. Wow. I mean, when you yeah, when you put it that way, it's it's almost like you've switched simulations three times now. Yeah. I mean, dude, it's just so mind blowing, and I have I have so many questions. There's so much more I want to talk about from you know these uh, these safe thieves to the the serial killer. I want to know more about your life in Tyler, Texas. And, and I think what we could do probably is a live stream where folks can ask you questions about your experience as well. And also, sure. um, you know, share if they've experienced anything similar, cause I'm sure this can't be like an isolated incident that only you've had this, this yeah. experience. Well, you know, Ari Shafir had something happen to him that was similar. He believed he lived in a world where it was just like this world, but everybody was underwater and he lived there for a long time. Like Aquaman. Yeah. Like sea monkeys. Huh? Like, like the, well, I don't know. Yeah. And he knew and, uh, and like he would swim up to the edge of the water and look sometimes and see his friends that were, I don't know. It was, but it was, it was long and involved and lived in a whole other world. I also knew somebody that um, that had a salvia trip where they thought that they were a coat of paint on a barn for like like fifty years. Like felt like the cracking and weathering and the boredom and just like the madness of sitting what? there and not being able to move and the cold of the winter and the hot of the summer. And they said it was like the most excruciating thing that they. How ever how long done. was he out for? Do you remember? Like, like I don't know. I for, I forget. But look at people Whoa. on people on salvia. Sometimes it's a if with your sense of time. Yeah. So it can do something really weird, uh, and make it seem like it lasts a long time, mm-hmm. which is a head trip because it gives you because your salt, your brain must work so fast that it can seem like it's working at normal speed, yeah. even when the whole <laughs> mental universe is going into a warp drive, right? To be able to do that because I was like. It was just like here, like you would have time to think, you would have time to, to, to worry about shit and ponder shit. It wasn't like it was abbreviated in any way. But, well, but also time is an illusion. So, yes. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. Uh, even though it freaks me out, it, it does make sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, I, I would love to do a live stream uh, get some get some thoughts from from some of the audience and and just see if anyone's had a similar experience or, or has questions. 
Um, in the meantime, yeah. uh, where can people follow you, Steve? Uh, where can they go and look up your comedy, hear more about your story? Uh, the Steve Cantwell on Instagram. Okay. Do you have any other socials? Just that one? No. You got any shows coming up, Can't man? I, I know you're in Houston now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I do shows all the time in Houston and all the areas surrounding Houston. Uh, you know, I go to Austin pretty regularly. And uh, yeah, ran into you in Austin just recently. I know, uh, dude. Outside the mothership. Completely yeah. accidental, which yeah, once again is dr- everything's a simulation, you know? That's right. Yeah. The whole thing doesn't render until you, you look at it. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a crazy thing. You think about it, Davey. What you and me do is a weird, rare thing. Yeah. Most of the universe, the thought of having to speak publicly is terrifying. <laughs> They rank it right up there with fear of death, yeah. mm-hmm. and you and and, for, and that's with not even the expectation that you have to be funny, funny enough that they can charge people to listen to you talk, funny enough that if you talk while I'm talking, they will throw you fucking <laughs> out of this place. Yeah. And you, so you think about the rare, the rarity of the people that we know, you know, and we are all this, you know, when you're when you're a comic, you have mostly comic friends, mm-hmm. and so it feels like everybody in the world's a comic, but that's not true. We are the copper canary we are the rarest of all of all things we are rare and beautiful things so appreciate that about yourself davy oh we're, man we're we're magical rainbows yeah. <laughs> magical rainbows that aren't actually real uh just real. floating through this life that is completely meaningless and empty <laughs> except yeah. for the stories we tell ourselves yeah, if this is a simulation, you and I have chosen good Dude, things to simulate. I mean, yes, I am very, very happy with my simulation, and I'm very happy that you are also a part of my simulation, Steve. Uh, Thank you, sir. So y'all follow Steve. We'll be back with a live stream. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, just in in a couple of days. Maybe maybe next week we'll we'll uh, we'll jump back on. But uh, thank y'all so much, and we will see you next week. Bye. <laughs>